Be careful what you ask for. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever experienced the results of asking something where someone has said, be careful what you ask for? As an eight-year-old, I heard this quite often. Be careful what you ask for. And there was a sense of security, too, because I knew my parents would not say yes to something that was dangerous or would hurt me. So there was security. So I could ask, and then he would say, be careful what you ask for. And I knew that if it was really out of the bounds of uh, who I was, that probably that wouldn't happen. But there was this one time I just kept asking and asking and asking as an eight-year-old, and finally they, they threw all caution to the wind and uh, gave me one of these. No, they didn't. Come on. Eight years old. And this is going to surprise you what they really did give me. I can't believe they did it because it was very harmful. I think it was worse than a chainsaw. It was one of these. Oh, yeah, so sweet. I had been asking, and some of you go, hey, I don't think you like dogs. I had been asking and asking and asking and asking, and around, I think, the spring, Easter time, that's what I got. And uh, this is us about the time. Thanks, Mom, to, for the plaid jackets for uh, Jess's time. This was sibling week, and there's my lovely sister who's actually here this morning, but, uh, you know, so they finally, they finally gave that to us, and I think it was about two weeks later, I was all over this idea of having a dog. This wasn't as great as I thought it would be, and where we lived, you had to go clean up after, I just, it just, it was just like, what is going on? They, it's funny how this all worked out. Leash law went into effect, but basically the week we got the dog, they had to get this runner thing in the backyard. And, and then so finally, I don't know, a few years later, a relative needed a dog, and off Corky went to uh, live with that relative. And uh, a few years late went by, and this relative was getting older and had to go into a nursing home, and they loved this dog. They love this dog so much because this dog actually saved their lives. There was a fire in their house, and the dog wasn't allowed to go upstairs. And this was the one time Corky went upstairs, scratched on the door, and woke them up. So they, they loved this dog. They didn't want to get rid of this dog. But then I heard, this is like, I don't know, five years later, that Corky could come back to live with us. And foolishly, I wanted that dog. I wanted that dog. I wanted that dog. And my parents were like, do you remember the last time? Be careful what you ask for. We got that dog. And uh, poor mom and dad, I went off to college eventually, and that dog was still around for a number of years. Usually we think a parent or somebody else, when they give us something or say, be careful what you ask for, we'll withhold it, and we're never getting it. But there are those times where they say, okay, see how that goes for you. They allow us to have that experience, even though they don't think it's the best for us, and they're actually hoping.
hoping that that experience is going to actually grow us and mature us and change us. And then there's other times where they just grow weary and say, you know, all right, we can have that. And the same thing happens with our relationship with God. There are times where we just knock on his door, and it's not that he's list not listening, and we want something, we want something, we want something. Sometimes we even knock on his door for something we kind of know deep down inside isn't right for us. And we keep knocking on that door, we keep knocking on that door, and occasionally God says, all right, go for it. See how that works for you. And my hope, God will say, is that it will grab your attention and you realize that I really do know what I'm doing. And when I do say no, it's for your good. But in this case, you're going to learn to struggle with whatever that is. In Psalms, we read this. He gave them, this is God, exactly what they asked for. But along the way, they got an empty cup. The King James says, leanness into their souls. And I'm only imagining this, but if you've walked with Christ, if you've been a Christ follower for a little while, you can probably come up with a couple items in your life where you asked and asked and asked and asked, and he said no and no, and it wasn't just wait, it was no. And eventually he lets you have that job, lets you have that item, lets you have that relationship. But you realize it starts draining your heart. There's leanness in your soul. Uh, Sometimes when it's an item, you discover that that item owns you rather than you owning it. And it creates leanness in your soul. Sometimes there's something you and I can afford, you and I can do, and we keep asking and pushing against the door and pushing against the door, and eventually, okay, see how that works for you. Sometimes it's a relationship. Sometimes it's a, it's a, a moving on. It's a get the bigger house, get the newer car, get this, get that, have this, spend time, you know, whatever it may be, and it brings in a leanness to your soul. And as we're working our way through 1 Samuel and the life of um, Samuel, and we're looking at going to be looking at Saul, and then we're going to be looking at David, we'll break it up in a few weeks, but as we're looking at them, we're seeing that there's this idea that there needs to be a king, a leader, and they, they are stuck with this idea. And so we'll, we'll look at that story and then make some comments and then draw some points from that. So if you want to look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1, you'll find that in the Rack Bible on page 188. If you don't have a paper Bible and want one, please feel free to take that as a gift from Seneca Community Church. Also, we strongly encourage you, if you have an electronic device, to uh, download a free app like Version, and then you can have the Bible wherever you go in whatever translation uh, you prefer. So 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1, and we're just going to read through this. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. You remember 
Samuel was a judge. He was not in the priestly line. So if you look at judges, you'll see that occasionally there'd be a new judge and they'd move on. And it wasn't, there was no, uh, you know, it wasn't a family thing. It wasn't the sons got it. But in, in Samuel's case, he's growing old. There's a period of time. You don't see what much what's going on. We just uh, figure that he is following in obedience after God for all these years. And now he's getting older and he realized he's getting older. So he points his son as Israel's leader, his judges, basically. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the next name of his second was Abijah. And they served in Beersheba. That was about 50 miles south, and 50 miles south was a big deal. You just didn't get on your donkey and ride down there. It was an event. Uh, you didn't walk down there. For us, we can get in our car, and 50 miles is really no big deal. So he was down the south, taking those sons were taking care of things going on down there but then we read this but his sons did not follow his ways that's interesting his ways could mean god's ways but because it's lowercase his ways means samuel's ways samuel followed god and his sons weren't doing it and that's interesting because if you look back when he first started elijah um, eli had two sons they were high priests and his sons uh were just into everything uh they were uh you know improper sexual relationships with people working in the uh, tabernacle and all this kind of things going on and uh, Samuel's sons maybe not be doing that but they're doing all kinds of stuff they turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice so all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah they said to him you are old how would you like that meeting and your sons do not follow your ways so now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. This is this is a first question with this. This is a this is a positive thing. The elders are realizing something is up. We're going to look at what they point to. Maybe not the right thing, but they but they realize something is this is what elders should do. They should talk to Samuel about the future of of the nation. So there's nothing wrong with the initial front end of this. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. This interesting. You see, he's seeing that this displeases Samuel. He's hurt by this. And what does he do? The first thing he does is he goes to God to try to figure this out. You and I, when we're in this situation and something displeases us, something steps on our toes, something hurts us, is the first thing we do to go to God and kind of sequester ourselves, try to get in, maybe open our Bibles and read some passages that have to do with whatever's going on in our life. Or do we just kind of just start reacting everywhere we go? Samuel goes to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It's not you they've rejected, but they've rejected me as their king. You see, they did have a king. It was God, God Almighty. As they've done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are doing here. This was the rhythm of the most favored people. And sometimes this can be the rhythm 
of realize our purpose. We might not be as so bold and so forthright to say we're rejecting God as our king, but we want other kings to come in and recognize that. And so we sometimes there's a rhythm. And uh, I don't I don't say this to, to, to hurt anyone's feelings, but if that's your regular rhythm, you need to figure that out. Time is short. If your rhythm is God, then other king, God, then other king, God, then other king, and only you can know. I mean, I, I can't read into your heart. The Holy Spirit can speak to your heart. He can convict you. I don't want to make you feel guilty. But if that's the rhythm, you want to get off that ride as soon as possible. Because the longer you stay on that ride, the more it becomes who you are. And it might be get a day where you're older and you just are kind of stuck. You don't know how to untie all those knots. It's possible, but it's a lot harder work. So especially those of you who are on the younger side, how are you to define that? Choose your ruts carefully because you may be in them for a very, very long time. Now they listened to them, but warned them solemnly and let them know that the king who reigns over them will claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who are asking for a king. He says, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow the ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He'll take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He'll take a tenth of your flocks and yourselves will become his slaves. Very interesting. Slaves. They got freed from Egypt, and they're very close these hundreds of years later going into the same kind of situation. When the day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. You know, in our world, we as Christians, you know, think of God's grace, and God is graceful, and he demonstrates mercy. But I do think there are moments in life where we take it for granted. And he says, you know, you wanted that, you wanted that. I said, no, no, no. It's clear, no, 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 no. And now you're going to have to live with the consequences of your actions. That would not be a good parent to not let us live with the consequences of our actions. Because I don't know about you, when I don't have consequences to some of the things that I'm involved with, I keep doing them. I've joked about this before. I, we just got back from a trip, quick trip to New Hampshire and uh, had a, a celebration of life to be a bar, part of out there. 
and we're cruising back, and you know, you're driving along, and you're going a little too fast, and you see a police car, you're like, whoa, 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 did you slow down? Is he coming? Is he coming? Is he coming? Is he coming? That guy in front of me was faster than me, so maybe he's coming, he's coming, you know, you're looking, you're looking, and all of a sudden, whoo, heart gets back to regular beat, and all of a sudden, I guess he's not coming, and you go, start driving faster again. Terrible. Don't look at me that way. You do it too. In other areas of life, consequences are good. If you have kids, there ought to be consequences. Consequences that do fit the crime. Sometimes you don't do consequences, and all of a sudden they do a little thing, and you're so sick of it, you let them have it with consequences that don't fit the crime. They fit the last ten crimes, and they don't get that. Consistency. But God is a good father gives us consequences to our actions. Mercy, grace, not what we deserve, but there are times where he says, okay, go and see how that works for you. Try that out. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go before us and fight our battles do you remember the story before? God had gone before them and wiped the Philistines just crumbled and it was no it just kind of just happened. There were thunderclaps and they got unnerved. Uh, God went before them, but no, now they want a king. When Samuel heard all that, the people said he re- when Samuel heard all that the people had said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, "Listen to them and give them a king." Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own towns. Be careful of what you ask for. Now, some of the questions that the leaders were asking, the people were asking, were legitimate questions. But they didn't listen. There's nothing wrong with having a craving for security. But they should have, in a sense, rebooted. When Samuel came back to them and said, you know, this is what a king's going to be like, and basically inferring you've had a king, they should have said, okay, we're going to slow down. I mean, we remember back in Deuteronomy 17 where Moses wrote about what to do when we have a king. So you're telling us now it's not the right time. We will wait. A lot of people say that God was already working, had King David in the pipeline. And Saul would be a bump in the road, a big bump in the road, because they had asked too early. Sometimes timing is everything. Sometimes there's some things happening in our life, and we kind of have an inclination. God will say yes, but the timing isn't right. Yet, in a sense, we, we force his hands. And what's hard is you and I, who've walked with the Lord and know other people of the Lord, compare our stories with their stories. And sometimes that's positive, and sometimes that's negative, because God deals with us, walks with us a little bit differently because we're all different as his children. Just like as a parent, 
you navigate things with your kids just a little differently. The way we uh, disciplined Sarah, Hannah, Mariah was all a little bit differently. Sometimes they thought we were being unfair, but we knew by watching them respond what got their attention, what shaped their lives in a positive. It wasn't to punish them. It was to disciple them, was to, it was to point them into a better direction. And, you know, sometimes we got it right, sometimes we got it wrong. But, again, th- that's the way a parent would function. So back to, back to um, Israel, craving for security, th- there's nothing wrong with that. But letting security own you, being anxious about it, being aware of it. You've heard me say this often. Being aware is good. Being anxious is off the rails. We can be aware of what's going on around us. We are aware of what's happening in our world, in our country. We're saddened by something, but we're aware. But we don't need to be anxious. So wanting security, good. Craving it, letting it own you, not so good. And usually what we do is usually when we have a craving, we look around at what everybody else is doing and what they have and try to imitate that. So we look at other people and we say, that makes them feel secure, so now I feel secure. Sometimes we even take behavior that's crazy, and because they feel secure, we go, I'm going to do that crazy behavior, and I'll feel secure because they're doing it. It's like we're all going over the waterfall, and because we got friends with us, and they're all a little bit ahead of us, we go, well, we'll just go over the waterfall together, and it won't be that bad until you get to the waterfall. You can see it coming. Proverbs, a wise person, a prudent person sees trouble coming, and they duck. So this idea of imitating other folks when they're looking at nations all around them and they're saying, hey, you know, the nations around us feel pretty secure because they have like a king. So we need one of those. It makes me mindful of Romans 12, uh, verse 2, out of the Passion Translation and the Phillips Translation. says this, stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Don't let that be your culture. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. And the only way you know the difference is to invest yourself in knowing who God is and what he's about and what he would like for us. We need to know his preferred will for us. It doesn't take away life. It gives life. Sometimes we think, Lots of freedom gives us more freedom, and life is great, but we know that boundaries are helpful to us. Even though I don't like this boundary per se, uh, you know, the speed limit on Route 90, the turnpike, it's good that it's not 120. You know, my car has a speedometer. It says it could be 110. No, 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 I can't even think that way, but, you know, it's good. I wish it was a little faster, but not 120, because I know how some of you drive, and I would be worried to be out there. It's good to have boundaries. It's good to have those things. They bring life. We read on, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. And how do you change your think- thinking? You fill yourself with God's word. You know how he interacts, and you let that change and saturate your soul. 
Some of us don't spend enough time saturating our souls with what God would have us be, not to take away from us, but so we could enjoy his best for us in this chapter of life. We read on, this will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes, God's eyes, may prove in the practice that the plan of God for you is good. Do you actually believe the plan of God for you is good? Do you believe that? Now, you and I may have some consequences from knocking on the door, knocking on the door, and finally getting our own way. I'm not necessarily talking about those things, but God can take even our most messed up whatever and wring something positive into it in our lives. And you say to me, how can that be? I've had some horrible things happen in my life. And, and I, may, I may personally not be able to say, unpack every terrible thing that's happened. But I am banking on the fact that somehow he uses that to shape us so that we live a different way and we enjoy his presence on the way. And maybe even we're just, just a blessing to somebody's Somebody uses our, our tragedy to help them through theirs. But this idea of God's plan is good for us. The only way to know if God's plan is good is to immerse yourself in who he is, to be around other people that are rowing in the same direction, just to help you. I need sometimes to have people rowing in the same direction so I don't think I'm totally crazy. Like, wow, this actually is the way I'm trying to live. Cindy and I are trying to live this way. It, it seems a little crazy, but those other friends of ours are saying the same thing because they're trying to follow Christ. That bolsters me. That spurs me on. That Hebrews verse that spurs me on to good works, to, to live the way I ought to, to live. So as we think about all this, the, the people in uh, Israel in Samuel's day, uh, had this problem, and this problem was bad leaders. And we need to realize that all leaders are not perfect. That's what seeking the king, we just celebrated Easter last week, and that showed we needed a perfect king, Jesus Christ, our king. Even David, the best of the best, was not perfect. We're going to discover that in the weeks to come. We can see that leaders are not great always. All of us have chinks in our armor. Never put a leader on a pedestal and let your faith in your life rise and fall on that leader except for the leadership of Jesus Christ in your life. Don't let a president do that. Don't let a pastor do that. Don't let a boss do that. Don't let a family member do that close friend. Yes, you can value, you can admire them. We're at the celebration of life for Uncle Howard, and he was a good man, but he wasn't a perfect man either. So identify that, and when a leader is bad, is corrupt, and it's obvious, know that. Samuel's sons were corrupt. Go back through the judges, and you see time and time again these, these imperfect leaders who do some things good but are not perfect. Some are better than others. 
but all of them have chinks in their armor, if you will. Some of you are familiar with Gideon. Gideon makes this great victory. He follows God's lead, and the people say, let's make you a king. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my sons rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Gideon knew that God was the king, not Gideon. His sons, his one son, messed it all up. But the intent of Gideon was not to become a king. He knew God was to be his king. And we need to realize that we are imperfect human beings. We need to understand that. And I say this piece with, uh, you've got to check it in your heart. But when it comes to, comes to parenting and all of this, we see this with Gideon, we see this with Samuel. Eli was a little more complicit in his parenting. Seems that Samuel just had kids that went off the, ra- off the rails 50 miles away, out of his arm reach or whatever. But uh, I love what Larry Osborne has a book. I think it's in the library, 10 Dumb Things Christians, uh, Smart Christians Believe. And uh, there are all these little ideas that, wow, how do we get that into our well-being? Now, I'm not going to review all 10, but there is this idea about kids and parenting. And this is the, is the dumb thing smart Christians believe. Godly home guarantees godly kids. Not anywhere in Scripture. Our Heavenly Father has not given us godly kids because you're one of his kids. Holy perfect. The myth that a godly home guarantees godly kids and godly adults is just not is is not just untrue. It's not just wishful thinking. It's spiritually dangerous. We buy into it. We become especially vulnerable to two things. I love this. Well, I really don't love this, but two things that are never part of God's plan: unwarranted guilt and foolish pride. I know a lot of parents that really weren't good parents, but their kids are awful. They have a thing to do with their parenting. And I know a lot of awesome parents where their kids eh, didn't have it. And they take on all this guilt. I mean, you can play games with this, but understand unwarranted guilt, foolish pride, not to be a part of the Christ follower experience and attitude. And when it comes to godly kids and godly adults, we can get stuck with that and get caught up with that. That doesn't mean give you excuses not to, to be give you excuse to be a sloppy parent, and but it doesn't also give you the the heaviness of doing things pretty well doesn't guarantee you. Uh, we've talked about this in Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of principles, not promises. If you do this, this normally happens. If you save money. Usually you're okay in your old age. We all know stories of people that saved their money and did well, and some disaster comes, and they're not okay with old age. It is not a promise. It is a principle. And uh, so enough said on that. When you think of Samuel's kids, think of Gideon's kids. Just a reminder in Judges, uh, in those days there were no kings in Israel. People did whatever they felt like doing. You see this over and over again. No king, no, no, no king, king like a person, and they weren't functioning with the Lord being their king. And uh, we don't have a king, but we do have a king as a heavenly Father. That that gets Christians in trouble in some of these uh, dictatorial or, or 
authoritative um, countries because they can't stomach someone above them in the power scheme. So they don't want people that have an allegiance to a God over their government. If it was just below it, it's okay. But if it's above it, they have a heartburn with that. And so that's why some of that happens. But this idea that we as Christ followers have a king. But what happens to us a lot of times is we start to get this idea that we need this hero leader, this, 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 the full package, the full deal. And being a kid of the 80s, that reminds me of this. Remember that show? No. It wasn't the 1880s. It was the 1980s. You don't remember Bonnie Tyler? Where have all the good men gone and where have all the gods? Where, where's the streetwise Hercules to fight the rising odds? Isn't there a white knight upon the fiery steed? Late at night I toss and turn and dream of what I need. I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero to the end of night. He's got to be strong and he's got to be fast. You know the song. That's what we do with our politics, with our this, with our that. We are holding out for a hero. There's one hero, one complete deal, and that's Jesus Christ. Immense yourself in him. Figure out who he is. Read those first four books of the New Testament, the, the good news, the Gospels, and figure out how he interacted in his world. Then read the rest of the New Testament and see how that's applied, how loving God and loving others flushes out. Use the Older Testament to give you stories and context like we're doing and put it all together, and that is your hero, and follow him. You can idolize him. You can make him the celebrity of your life not something else, not some other concept. You see, the people's solution for Israel, they said, give us a hero, give us a king. That's what they want. Israel doesn't even realize what they're asking for. Sometimes you and I don't slow down enough to realize what we're asking for. Israel's problem involved hereditary leadership, and their solution was a form of hereditary leadership. They wanted sons and kings and blah, 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 blah. Samuel's offering that. They're rejecting that. They see the problem with that, but they don't see the problem with having a king because it's the same kind of thing. That's what their problem is. And this is going to create a new problem. And their new problem is they're going to have a, a taking leader, not a giving leader. Remember the description of what your king is going to be like? That's taking, 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 not giving, giving, giving. Their solution for security will become a reason for insecurity. And uh, it just gets, it gets messier and messier and messier. We could look at some of the things Jesus says. Jesus is a giving king, not a taking king. Sometimes we watch the stories on Great Britain, and there's this debate about the monarchy. Does it cost too much? And, and all of this, because they see how, yes, uh, there's lots of, um, 
you know, nonprofit things that the monarchy supports, and then there's also this piece where they're taking. Are they, is their taking worth their giving? We do the same way as we look at our government and we think about our taxes. Are our taxes, do we get enough for what we give? We need to answer that. But do you get the idea? If you thought you were getting more for your money, you'd be like, yes, I'll pay more taxes because I get more stuff. This is working out great. Doesn't seem to work that way. Taking, not giving. Jesus, the giving. There's all these verses. For God so gave his son, gave, 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 gave. And they're looking for a king that's going to take, 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 and they're not thinking about it. They're blinded to that. It's, it's, it's crazy that they're doing that. If you look around to see what everybody else is doing to be happy and secure, and if you try to find your security there, those things will take from you. Guilty. Fancy, expensive, big car payment. You ever had one of those? Oh, if I just have that, if I have that, if I have that. And when you have it, it owns you. That vacation you charge, 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 and you're still paying it off. For some of us, we need to think about our education process. Tons of debt, tons of debt, tons of debt, tons of debt, tons of debt. I'm going to get a degree. Is the debt equal what it gives me? Some of you need to ask those questions. Maybe I need to do something different. I'm not saying don't go to college. I'm not saying don't be educated. Weigh out the cost. I have a friend who has deep pockets, and he could have paid for his kids' school ten times over, million, I just over and over and over again. But he actually asked, you're going to school to do this. How much will you earn when you get out of school? And this is how much it's costing. And he said, it does not add up. It would be better for me just to give you that money and for you to start a business and go to school if you use the money wisely. So, I, you know, there's, 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 there's thinking here. What is everybody else doing? Will it own you or will you own it as you follow Christ? Again, God gave his son. Gave, 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 gave. So as we're thinking about leaders, as we're thinking about all of that, we need to also be mindful of what Jesus was like. You know, you, we're not going to read through all this, but you can look at 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and you'll see what spiritual leadership, good leadership looks like. And if you looked at all those, you could come up with 12 things. And out of the 12 items, the 12 things, 11 are character. One is skill. Doesn't mean you should blow off skill, not pay attention to skill. But it's interesting that when Paul writes Timothy and says, these are the kind of leaders you need, you need these 12 ideas, these 12 concepts should be reflected. 11 of them are heart and character. One is skill. I'll let you figure that out on your own. The king does not take, he gives when it comes to heavenly father and so they see that they hear that it's as clear as a message like this i'm speaking to myself they hear that and the tragedy is they get exactly what they want is we're going to see and that becomes a tragedy if you got exactly what you want for your security for the king of your life the one that makes you feel like you can rest at night, would that be a tragedy or would that be God involved in your life 
from beginning to end, every piece. You see, this is the big surprise with all of this, is God tells Samuel, obey their voice and make them a king. He should have said, obey my voice, don't give them a king. He says, let them see how that works for them. Let them see where it's going. I've explained it to them, and they've ignored it. Now, we have a problem happening at the Spencer House, and it happens about this time of year, and this is very disturbing. Uh, we've got a bird problem. This is Herman out there. He's my uh, pet owl. He just sits there. I've got two of them. And you can see to the left, there is a little bird not bothered by my owl. And I am extremely bothered by that. I didn't get a picture where there was one actually closer to my owl. He wasn't sitting on him, but he was close. And we can just see this bird, this evil, dastardly thing. So I don't want birds at my house because they make a mess everywhere. I have some disobedient parents. And I've told them I don't want birds. My sister who happens to be here last Christmas tried to get them a bird feeder. I said, absolutely not. But they love birds. No, we're not having birds in our backyard. We've got enough birds. We live in Lodi. They wanted more birds. And I looked out this week. There's my owl. I look down off the deck, and I see this. Look at this. This is terrible. That's bread and some kind of corn or something. That, I, I mean, I know what's going to happen. We're going to get more birds. It's clear as day if I let that behavior allow. Please pray for the Spencer household. It's terrible. Terrible. You laugh at that. But the reality is this. You and I do that same thing in bigger, larger ways. We know what God says. No birds. And then we put bread and corn up there. Doesn't make sense. You do it. Do it. And we'll get the birds. And we'll get the mess. My dad's like cheering. Yes, birds. Yeah, all right. Be locking you down here tonight. But anyway, but remember this verse. He gave them exactly what they asked for, but along with it, they got an empty heart. Lean into your faith. Could I propose not all your situations? But many of your situations, my situations, are because God's given us exactly what we asked for. But with that, whatever has come, an empty heart, a lean heart of faith. You see, somewhere along the line, we have forgotten that God's answer is always Always better. But does your life, does my life actually express that we believe that? Do we put the rubber where it meets the road? Or do we say it and in a nice setting like this? We go to a Bible study, a community group, we listen to nice Christmas Christian music, we do this and do that. But when it comes to actually doing what we're hearing, it does not show up. 
you know, his perspective, his plans, and his purpose. We could add a few more here, but they're always best. His perspective. He sees that bread on the wall with seeds is going to attract birds. He sees that. He sees that better than you see it, better than I see it. But he offers his perspective to us. He doesn't force it to us, but he offers it to us. And he gives us that perspective. I got some verses down there. You can look at them on your own. You can figure that out. You have to trust me on this. But his perspective. And then you've got his plan. His plan for you is to, to help you. You may not see all of it material. No, you're guaranteed you're never going to see all of it materialize in this chapter of life. But I can guarantee you it will be materializing in the next chapter of life when we are with him. So prepare to be with him. Work his plan. See his purpose for your life. Don't work against it. I love this. Discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off handsomely for the well-trained who find themselves matured in their relationship with God. That's the big deal. Your relationship with God. Mature with Him. So, our bottom line is this. Our greatest disappointments can be God's greatest appointments. What you're asking for and he says no, or what you don't want in your life and he says yes, those things that at first feel like a disappointment can become our greatest appointments. The question is, do you know God well enough to know when he's saying no or when he's saying yes and there's no shortcuts to that once a week on sunday and a couple bible verses through the week isn't enough you need to invest yourself in knowing your god who wants to let himself be known let's pray heavenly father we just uh, thank you for the gift of the uh, older testament we thank you for the story of samuel it breaks our heart to see us in the story, though, in a negative way. Father, I ask that you would renew in us a desire to know you well. For those that may not have said yes to you yet, may they in this moment say, God, I want you to part of my life. I want to follow you the best way I know how, and I can't wait to get on the journey. Join my life. I thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. I'm thankful that the tomb is empty and I'm living for that hope. Did someone do that this morning? Crystal clear. And for those of us who have already said that, would we know you well so that we can see that even some of our greatest disappointments can turn into great appointments when we walk with you. And Father, if there's someone here who's still wrestling with it, all of this, ask that you would make yourself known so they would at least lean towards you rather than lean away. We thank you for this morning in Jesus' wonderful name.